Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Focus Group Podcast. I'm Sarah Longwell, publisher of The Bulwark, and this week we're taking you to New Hampshire, ahead of the presidential primary this coming Tuesday. Now, with Donald Trump winning Iowa by around 30 points and Ron DeSantis finishing a distant second, Nikki Haley is really on the ropes. But New Hampshire holds her last glimmer of hope. In the latest Real Clear Politics average, she is down, wait for it, only 13 points. We saw some Democrats crossing over for Nikki in Iowa, but New Hampshire is one of the only places where it's really an ingrained part of the political culture for independents to cast strategic votes in primaries. And in 2024, that means a lot of moderate or left-leaning folks are pulling Republican ballots. And that's mostly who you're going to hear from today. Because there have been some recent polls that show Nikki Haley closing in on Donald Trump in the Granite State. My guest today is my dear friend and colleague at the Bulwark, Tim Miller, who spent his share of days traipsing through the snows of New Hampshire in January on the Republican campaigns of John Huntsman and Jeb Bush. Tim, thank you so much for being here, my friend. I had a house in Manchester, even. For about three months. So no way. I was a local at Republic. Unfortunately, they've closed down Republic. It was my favorite restaurant. They'd always give me a hug when I came in. I ate there every day. And so I, I know my New Hampshire. I know my Granite Staters. And I do have to tell you that this podcast is usually depressing. And I got to listen to these people on the plane last night. And they are my people. You know, the people were focus grouping right now. You know, I kept being like, you go, girl. Like, yes, like everything they said, I was vibing with. So that's positive. So you can thank Connor for not adding into your bio the losing hopeless campaigns of John Hutzman and Jeb Bush. <laughs> okay, we had hope. <laughs> losing campaigns that had very little hope, maybe. So do you understand Nikki and Ron right now? Like, forget them, like the individual candidates. Mm. But what about? the people working for them, like what is going through their minds right now? Like I was reading an article this morning about Ron's staff telling him not to get out. You know, this guy's got to keep going. Yeah, I was always the rain cloud on the staff trying to talk my candidate into coming to terms with defeat. I've written many concession speeches. And so, you know, kind of doing the casual waiting until the candidates is a good mood before handing them the first draft of the concession speech. So it's hard for me to get in the head of the DeSantis people that want to continue on the death march. But uh, on the Haley side, it is easy to talk yourself into outside chances hope when you're on a campaign, right? It just is for two reasons. One, you're around people that give you hope. Just anecdotally, right? Like in your bubble, it's your donors, it's your it's your supporters, it's your friends. In a state like New Hampshire, it's so small, they really know these candidates. So, you know, Nikki's walking down the street and people are being like, go girl, go Nikki, you know? And so you can talk yourself into the fact that you have momentum based on anecdotes and the people around you. And then secondly, it's just like human nature. You know, ending a campaign is the end. Talking yourself into outside chances, bank shots, that's just human nature, right? Like, I want to give myself a chance. I want to keep hope alive, right? And particularly in this case, when you have a front runner that, like, has court dates every week, it becomes, I think, easier to talk yourself into that. So I think that's the Nikki view. It's a whirlwind. You land in New Hampshire. Like, it's more media than you'll ever get in your life. Cameras in your face everywhere. Dutch journalists, you know, like, <laughs> people from all the world. Your media requests. You could do media all day if you want. So that element is kind of exciting, too. You have the buzz of that. So, you know, what was interesting to me about the sort of DeSantis mentality, like he's skipping New Hampshire, okay? 
And he thinks he's going to make a stand in South Carolina. And he thinks what's going to happen is that Trump's going to beat Nikki like a drum in New Hampshire, the one place where she looks like she could really sort of maybe beat Trump or come in really close to him. Sanders thinks that when Trump trances Nikki, Nikki drops out before getting humiliated in her home state. And it becomes the two-man race that Ron DeSantis has always wanted. So New Hampshire's do or die for Nikki. That's one way to look at it. Or who cares? They're all losing to Trump by 30 points. So to what extent do you think New Hampshire matters at this point coming off of a 30-point win for Trump in Iowa? The one thing that Trump has right and Trump and people have right as they're attacking Nikki for trying to bring in these Democrats and undeclared voters into the process is that like that is unique about New Hampshire, right? And so winning New Hampshire or doing well in New Hampshire on the back of a surge in these voters that we're listening to today, undeclared voters, I think that that could be meaningful and just in the way of it extends the timeline of the primary, you know, maybe there's a dent in the Trump invincibility element, but like when it comes to actually being the nominee, winning with these voters is not the path to being the nominee because there aren't a lot of these voters that we're hearing from today in these states. You know, when you get to Super Tuesday, you get down here to Louisiana, there aren't a lot of people that sound like the folks in this group. And the folks in this group would just be Democrats in Louisiana, right? And so, like, that's kind of the problem, right? And so I think that it's interesting. It could be meaningful in a bank shot way, but these folks are not the path. Nikki Haley winning on the backs of these folks doesn't say a whole lot about where the actual primary is going to go. Yeah. And so, as you alluded, we actually fielded a group of 2020 Joe Biden voters who are open to voting in the GOP primary. So they're thinking about turning out for a candidate like a Nikki or Chris Christie. That means they are either registered as Republicans or undeclared. Um, A lot of these voters were undeclared, but they were also super engaged and they knew how much their votes mattered. So let's listen to how they think about voting in Republican primaries. I'm totally planning on pulling a Republican ballot um, because it's a vote against Trump. So if we can get another candidate that's not Trump, then we'll see what happens. So I've always kind of flipped back and forth. But the last couple of times, I didn't think voting in the Democratic ballot would make a difference. So that's why I picked Republican. I was hoping enough independents hopefully vote for Chris Christie and can get that win over the other option. Although I've leaned heavily Democrat over my whole lifetime, I've almost always voted Democrat. I've been a registered independent because it's the only way to play ball in New Hampshire. Uh, I probably will pull a Republican ballot. My intention is strictly to vote against Trump. And I'm on a flip of the coin right now between Chris Christie, who I like, and Nikki Haley, who I don't like, but I think has a chance to upset Trump. And it was even last night on MSNBC, they were talking, David Fluff, who used to work for Obama, was talking, if anybody in the open vote states for the primaries, they should consider voting for Nikki Haley. I actually think I was on with Pluff for this one. This is is another example. We're not going to run into too many states after this where you hear focus group uh, participants talking about what David Pluff was saying and just being on a a name basis with David Pluff, not having to (laughs) clarify who they were talking about, assuming everybody knows. Yeah. So here's what we did. So, you know, we did this group before Christy dropped out. And so Connor, our producer, went back to all of these participants, right, after Christy dropped out to see how they're thinking about things now. And 
the first woman in that set said she was leaning toward Nikki Haley already. The second woman is leaning toward pulling a Democratic ballot instead. The last guy, that MSNBC viewer who usually votes for Democrats, is leaning towards Haley. So I think it is funny that there's this like MSNBC viewers who are agonizing about who they're going to support in the Republican primary. And like you said, those kinds of people are in very short supply, which is the reason that while you and I have disagreed in our predictions, whereas I think Nikki could win New Hampshire, you don't think so. And I'm moving more to your camp every day. I just let the hopium run away with me sometimes. But where we agree is that this was always Nikki's last stand because it is so unique in New Hampshire. It's just these voters understand in ways even other voters in open primary states don't think about this the way New Hampshire voters think about this, right? Like there's not other primary states where people are going to be like, I'm going to go pull the Republican ballot. I'm going to make a real stand for Nikki Haley. I'm going to vote against Trump, right? Not at scale. And New Hampshire is so different. And New Hampshire is so different than Iowa, even in this regard. I've always been a New Hampshire partisan. I've been spent a lot of time in both states. Of course, there are certain people in Iowa that take the process seriously. And on balance, the average Iowa person is probably more in tune than the average Kansas person or whatever because of the nature of the caucus. But like New Hampshire really is a different element where you anecdotally are constantly meeting people when you're campaigning there on the streets and in coffee shops that like know a lot about politics and the questions are very engaged and nuanced. There is something special about New Hampshire. I think it's just small enough and high education enough, to be honest. And there's something in the water and there's a little more pride about the status that you do run into a lot of people who are like very strategic about their voting. And, you know, there are going to be some of those political hobbyists in every state, but it really feels like the one state where that happens at scale. McCain, Huntsman, they did well there as well. Like, what is it about New Hampshire that lets these moderate Republicans, I mean, like literally every other state wants you to be as MAGA as possible. But this like New Hampshire thing's creating this weird illusion. Yeah. Like, no, no, the party might be normal again. But the more moderate Kent's always done well there. Like, what is it about New Hampshire voters that makes that happen? Uh, some of it's just the demographics, right? It's just higher education, pretty white state. Uh, some of it is the nature of when you think about New Hampshire, I don't know that a lot of people think about the fact that like Southern New Hampshire is really a Boston suburb. Yeah, right. And that's a big part of the state. Again, it's a small state, right? So if you have the area kind of south of Manchester to the Massachusetts border, a lot of those people, again, in the pre-COVID days, at least, were commuting into Boston. Right. And so you have a big Boston suburban group, which is naturally going to fit this kind of moderate Republican. Then you just kind of have the out of date now, crotchety, kind of flinty, northeastern, contrarian, libertarian-ish person. Uh, Vermont, even, next door, still has a Republican governor, Phil Scott. It's like a super moderate governor. So that muscle has been exercised in a way that it's not in other states, right? Charlie Baker, Chris Sununu, like these people exist there. And so they've been able to build supporters. If these people lived in New Orleans, they would just be Democrats. Right? Yeah. Like, and you know what I mean? And so there's been a grassroots kind of element to that. And then just this undeclared open thing. Again, I think that there is a category of people that just because New Hampshire is so important and they have so much pride in their status that there are a lot of people that kind of do this every time. They're like, we're undeclared. We're going to read everything. We're going to decide which side to go for. All three of those elements combined is sort of what makes it a very unique situation. Yeah, I love these people. So what was interesting to me about this group is, right, because they are not Republicans at all, they're like really into Chris Christie, you know, because he was still in the race. And like, they like them because he's lighting up Trump. Nikki's like a deviation over from Christie because she kind of wants voters that are like, move on from Trump, but still like Trump. 
Um, and so she's got this weird line to walk to catch these people too, the ones who like really hate Trump and want to see him get lit up. So the people in our focus group were considering her, but they also had like real misgivings about her. And so let's listen to some of the sound where I think they're going to talk about Nikki and even Christy. And then I'll talk a little bit about how they're thinking about their choices now. I believe it was early 2010s. She had actually sponsored a bill that talked about life beginning at fertilization. So for me, no matter what politicians say or don't say on the way to trying to get their candidacy, it's more about their past history. So for me, she's been anti-abortion kind of all along, and she's just changing her tune to try and get the vote. You know, I'm reconsidering now because of her pro-life stance, um, because I am pro-choice, and that's an important issue to me. But, you know, once again, I think it's going to fall to who do I want other than Trump? I mean, Chris Christie, yes. Nikki Haley, I think that she may have more leverage right now, might have a better position. So to me, it's going to be whoever can unseat Trump. That's who I'm going to vote for. Where I like Christie. I don't like Haley. And I don't really dislike Haley. I, I guess I don't trust her. I don't think she's brave enough or strong enough to do what's right. But I think she probably would like to do what's right, but she's not big enough to fight the political pull of what people would want her to do. And yeah, I, I was going to say yeah. at the first debate, she came out saying that we had to find a consensus and we had to work together. I think she said mm -hmm. she's pro-life, but that's not what the people want. And it gave me hope that there was a voice of reason in the room because the rest of them, except for Christy, were all, you know, just hating this group, this group, this group, and this group, and pro-life, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, she came off and I said, well, wow, maybe there's something to her. And so then as I watched her and as time went on, that's when I decided I didn't fully trust her. Okay, I just want to say in those clips were the sentiments that you hear over and over and over again from focus groups about Nikki Haley. I don't trust her is one. They always say this, although these voters don't trust her sort of from a, the left wing side. But a lot of Republican voters say this about Nikki, where they don't trust her to be MAGA enough. They also talk about her being weak, which comes up all the time. I don't know if that's code for woman or what, but the weak thing comes up all the time. And then the other thing is the I don't hate her, which is like this damning with faint praise that voters say. It's like, I don't not like her. It's just an expression of their complete ambivalence about her. And so I wonder... If Nikki Haley somehow wins New Hampshire, it's going to be with a lot of people that are really not sold on her. But what strikes me is that she actually doesn't seem like a natural fit for New Hampshire, right? Like, not the way that McCain would have been or Huntsman with the street talk. Like, that's New Hampshire. Her word salading, equivocating, the, you know, not being able to say slavery. She doesn't feel like she's in step with New Hampshire even. Yeah. So answering that part, then I want to get to the strength thing too really quick. But uh, Marco, right? I think is the closest analog to her. Yeah. There's some differences, but so he gets crushed by Christie in that debate. So part of this is related to that, uh, but he ends up at 10 and a half percent 
last time in New Hampshire, fifth place. So I just think that that is some data evidence that like this model is not a great fit for New Hampshire. I think that she is right now riding on the fact that the state is anti-Trump. Yeah. That there's enough anti-Trump people that there are some people that are going with her that she wouldn't have been their first choice, right? And I think that she's kind of combining those with some folks that do genuinely like her. And so I think that's one element. But the interesting question is, how does she excite these people? Right? Like for her to actually win for your pony scenario to turn out, she's going to have to change the demo of the electorate to make it more undeclared. I have a greater percentage of this group turnout. That's what I keep being, coming back to. And I just kind of don't see it. Listening to this group, you know, some of these people are going to vote for they just aren't that excited about her. Abortion comes up a lot. I do think sometimes in Republican groups, the not being strong is code from woman. But in this group, it was an older woman who was like, she's not strong enough, but she was talking about standing up to Trump. Yeah. Right. That I just think that she's too weak of a person to kind of say and do the right thing. And so it's like, was there a way to kind of create a Christy Haley hybrid that got enough of the Republican, you know, the wit airs, maybe Trump crowd and also excited enough of the undeclared. I don't know. But I, I think that that's going to be a problem for her is that I don't know that she's going to excite these independent people enough. Maybe she gets enough of them just because they like they want to be part of the process. There's no democratic process. She's like the best of bad options kind of situation. But that's usually not a path to like changing the makeup of an electorate that you're just banking on people voting for you because you're the least bad option available. Yeah, the thing I just think about with Nikki is like she's very polished in her way. Like she's, so, you know, I've heard people say like, she's a good politician. She's good out there on the stump. So she's very put together. She seems nice. And I think that that's fine. Like that can get you a little way when they're like, well, kind of looks the part and uh, it's nice that she's a woman. Like there's sort of some of that that makes her stand out. But at the end of the day, her inability to kind of stand in front of people and be like, this is who I am. No apologies. Like so many of her lines are, and she does him over and over. She's not always so quick with like a really good answer and she sounds very practiced and so one of the things people say about her just a little bit of a depth now now in politics is that she seems like a regular politician right and in a different era that polish would have helped her and i think now it seems inauthentic yeah and i don't know if it ever would have helped her in new hampshire and the only example of a haley-ish candidate to win modern new hampshire would have been Mitt in 12. Yeah. But he's the neighboring state governor. So it's like a home state. I mean, most of these people all knew him from TV, from local news, right? Uh, besides him, you know, it's McCain, it's Trump. Uh, those are the types of folks that did well. Every media buyer knows this that if you want to run ads in New Hampshire, you've got to buy part of the Boston, Boston market. Yeah. It makes it so expensive to like yeah. play in New Hampshire. So let me just ask you you think she makes it to South Carolina? I keep going back and forth, and part of it is I want her to for for the content. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of think so, and and just because of the rationalization elements at the start of this is it's like there's the delegate element. There's all these things you can think of in your head. The only case for not going to South Carolina is if she actually wants to be Trump's VP, and it's unclear to me if the VP thing is just part of her caution. And so she's not answering yeah. that question because she doesn't want to make anybody mad and she doesn't want any Trump voters to think that she wouldn't, or if she really is kind of eyeing it, right? And that would be the argument for getting out, right? Is to do well, but not win and to try to cut a deal. But if she doesn't want that, I don't know. I think that she might want to see it through. What do you think? It's a tough call. I tend to believe just that humans 
or like the human politicians, which is, yeah. but like yeah. they don't like to get crushed in their home state. Right. Right. That that feels awfully bad. And so I am not a believer as our good friend, J.B. Lastis, that like Nikki is a viable VP choice. Yeah. There are plenty of bootlicking succubi available who have never crossed him in ways Nikki has, you know, read plenty establishment-ish while still being full MAGA and loyal to him. So, like, I just, I don't know why Nikki gets him something unique that, like, Elise Stefanik doesn't get him. And so I don't see her as having a big bargaining chip. I also wonder, it's getting pretty vicious between her and DeSantis, I don't know, living down there together in the 20s. And it does seem like they kind of want to kill each other now. So maybe she wants to stand and at least beat DeSantis. I have no idea. I mean, John Kasich, you got to remember, John Kasich stayed in the 2016 race forever. Still Ohio. Uh, And so who the hell knows? Oh, and this is where, you know, with JBL and I would also, um, to invoke him too much while he's not here, but he kind of had this like, DeSantis is going to drop out before Iowa. And I was like, no, because he's got too much money. And I think DeSantis, like, they got to be low on funds at this point but nikki's got this big infusion of cash that just came in and so she might be able to afford to ride it for a little while right. and so maybe she wants to just outlast to sandus like it seems like there might be value in being the last person standing against trump uh my one other thing on this to consider sometimes you have to just consider basic human elements my friends in that are not in nikki's current world but had used to be in nikki world they're like she's bored yeah you know, she likes the limelight. She likes the attention, right? So like where, sure. where you might think that human nature might say, oh, you don't want a month of punishment and pain. The other side of it might be that she doesn't mind the punishment and pain. People are talking about her and it's better than going home to Sullivan's Island and being on Zooms. Yeah, man. It's run for something or mow the lawn, you know? Yeah, right. And right. like for a certain kind of person <laughs> that you might as well just like kill them. Like it's right. like, I think Chris Christie is like that. Like Chris Christie had that part in his book about how like you leave the governor's mansion and you go home and like the phone's not ringing and Secret yeah. Service walks away and like yeah. just being alone with your own thoughts makes you want to go mad. <laughs> I do want to turn to a group of two-time Trump voters that we also did in New Hampshire. <laughs> and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the third guy still in the race, Ron DeSantis. He's currently mired in the single digits in New Hampshire. I think he's at 5%. And one participant we had uh, very succinctly explained why. Let's listen. I just feel like he has a punchable face, and I just don't like him. <laughs> yeah. They're all politicians, and therefore, to me, I don't want nothing to do with them, regardless of party or whatever they say. I'm all set. I view him as a career politician, and I think that's why I wouldn't vote for him. I'd rather have somebody that I think would do okay as a politician, but also shows other traits other than just pleasing or saying the, the things that the people want to hear. And that's how I feel about DeSantis. Oh, I loved it when he sent the immigrants up to Massachusetts. <laughs> just the ground. I thought that was beautiful. And that's what they deserve, too, because they have taken in so many immigrants. It's just overdone, and it needs to be slowed down or stopped and the wall built. Those are two time Trump voters. So I will say, when I did... The two-time Trump voting group, I was like, you know, even in good old New Hampshire, a lot of people love Trump. Like, there's a reason why it, it there's some chance for Nikki, but, like, the chance of him getting 50% here, also pretty good. And, like, they really hate DeSantis. Like, it's like, there's Trumpers, and then there's 
this like other part of undeclared right-leaning independent soft GOP moderates who kind of like Christy and Nikki, but like there's no lane for DeSantis in New Hampshire for some reason. Why is that? Yeah, well, I focused in the last question on the demo of the New Hampshireites that the Huntsman types could get. But there yeah. is another part of New Hampshire, right? Like New Hampshire has a big blue collar kind of element to it, right? And if you kind of look at that map from 2016 of where Trump, you know, did a lot better than previous Republicans, it's that Appalachia, like all the way up through then the industrial Midwest, but then it goes all the way up through Maine and then Northern New yeah. York, you know, where, where Stefanik is, right? It's like that type of person, a blue collar, maybe a former Democrat, maybe an independent Perot voter, Buchanan did very well in New Hampshire, right? So like in this one tiny little state, these two things do exist together, right? Like the more erudite, waspy moderates and, you know, you're more blue collar. I'm not going to do any voice work here. But, you know, the kind of voice I'm talking about of the New Englander that is going to appeal to Trump. And Trump had huge rallies there in New Hampshire and won kind of overwhelmingly in the state. So that does leave DeSantis in this real, real sour spot. And and the other thing that it does continue to support listening to those voices is my idea that had he just had his entire campaign around the immigrant trafficking and like built a statue of himself trafficking immigrants that would have been a better use of money than the actual ads that he ran because that was the one thing these people did like about him yeah sad but true. it is sad it is sad um i will say the first guy who said that desantis has a punchable face he commutes and he's part of that blue collar crowd and he was you know had that thick kind of bostonish accent and he said yeah. it and you know sununu's endorsed haley but kim reynolds who was extremely popular in iowa she'd endorsed desantis why didn't that help him more in Iowa? Because endorsements work down, not up. Yeah. Particularly at a presidential level and particularly now with Donald Trump. It's just like people have made a choice based on Donald Trump for their own self. And they don't really care what Kim Reynolds' opinion is. And if Kim Reynolds likes Ron DeSantis, there's going to be a handful of Trump cultists that that makes them like her less. But a lot of people are just going to be like, oh, well, okay, you know, I don't know. She's just, she doesn't get it. She's a little too establishment. She's still done a good job, but she just doesn't quite see things the way I see. You know, that's from the focus groups, right? Um, You know, could it have worked in a different era where the candidates were more unknown? Could Kim Reynolds have been an important voucher for back in the 2012 race, you know, when the candidates weren't quite as famous, maybe. But people aren't judging Trump for themselves. And so I, the Sununu endorsement, like the question is, can the Sununu endorsement help move Christie people to Haley? Yeah. Can he help be a validator for folks that think she's too conservative on abortion and things like that? Maybe he can have an influence there. That's an easier ask, right? Yeah. To move somebody from Christie to Haley than from Trump to DeSantis in a weird way, if that makes sense. That No, it makes total sense. Uh, we did a Nikki episode the last time you were on with okay. me. And one of the headlines of it was is that people didn't want to vote for a woman. Oh, yeah. And there was like one or two people that said that. Listen to this two-time Trump focus group. And when we asked about how they would feel voting for a woman. Don't like take this the wrong way, guys. Because I, so just be prepared. Don't like want to kill me after but i don't feel as though a woman belongs in the presidential seat and i say that only because the other woman in here i hopefully can relate but we think with our heart mostly over mind and that's not what we need right now we need somebody like trump 
a man's job. No offense to any women out there. I just feel like it's a man's job. They're going to make tough decisions that can't have any emotions involved. They're the commander-in-chief. They have that red button at their disposal at all times. I just kind of feel like it would be better in a guy's hand, the suitcase, the you know, the metal suitcase to yeah, the yeah. world. Um, you no know, one I'm having a bad day or that time of the month or whatever. So what? <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of how I feel. I think a woman does have a chance right now because diversity and all that stuff. I don't think she's going to follow what she's talking about. I think we're getting a partial smokescreen from her. I don't fully trust her. She's telling us all what we want to hear. But what is she actually going to do? I'll stick with Trump so far. I don't trust a woman. (laughs) I did like her for a long time, and it was a toss between her. And then when I started seeing the commercials on the gas tax, I was questioning, you know, what else would she do that, you know, she wasn't ever going to raise tax, and what else would she change her mind on? We've had lots of people say things like this in the groups. This is the first one where someone's been like, but maybe she's on her period. And then what happens? Like, and also just like all the women in the group were like, yeah, you can't elect a woman. You know, because you know who's totally rational and never makes any decisions based on emotion? Donald Trump. You know, know. that guy is just, he is a a, a steel box. (laughs) He's like a technocrat almost. He's just a slave to the data. Never makes an emotional (laughs) call at all. I want to like people. That makes it really hard. Time of the month makes it really hard. Those are tough ones. I got to say, it's funny. um, In the other group, the Biden voters who were going to go pull about to stop Trump, one of them said, I don't think this country is ready to elect a woman. Now, she she liked the idea of a woman being president, but she is, I think, correctly assessing her New Hampshire compatriots by saying that she doesn't think the country is ready for a woman. Because I got to tell you, I don't think I would have said this before this cycle. I think I would have said, you know what? Actually, I think the first woman president is probably going to be a Republican. And I'm not sure I think that anymore talked about this with Ann Selzer a little bit last week, but just it's almost like because Trump has given permission just to say whatever, that maybe people are being more honest, like that they yeah. would have not said this stuff out loud before. But they're certainly saying it out loud. I've heard it so much about Nikki Haley from the two-time Trump voters. You can overstate any problem, right? And that's true about sexism. It's true about everything. But like Nikki, I'm at CPAC and she's on stage going, the Democrats say we're a sexist party and like, we're not a sexist party. And then you hear like somebody yell, shut up, C word. And she tweeted this week or said, um, I forget about how America is not a racist country, has never been a racist country. Says that in an interview, yeah. never been a racist Never country. been. Never is tough. Never goes back a day, It's tough if you're kind of yeah. actually listening to the people. All right. I don't want to get out of here without letting people hear some of this Christie sound because it was funny to me how like in the tank these guys were for Christie. And I assume he realizes that the people who really liked him, like his 15 percent, were basically coming from Democrats, people who liked hearing him love Trump. So let's listen to them talk about Christie. Chris Christie, he speaks the truth. He's not going to win, but he's getting the message across and he's not a coward. The rest of them are cowards. They're totally afraid of this Rico criminal. And you know, they say they pardon him. I'm very familiar right. with DeSantis. It's ridiculous. Uh, he tells it like it is. He was a good prosecutor. He did put Jared Kushner's father away. 
which shows the family tree there. If I go into the primary, it would definitely be for him. I'm with Christy, too. I think he stands up. He sees it like it is. I think he's got a pretty good track record. I think he'd do well. Do I think he's going to win? Probably not, but you can always hope. And it is an absolute vote against Trump. It seems to me like the Republican Party and the Democrat Party have switched. And the Republican Party wants government to tell me everything and control me. And the Democrat Party is saying, live and let live. So I'm afraid to vote for any of them at this point, except I think Christie would let us be. I think he's, you know, the old fashioned Republican. So that last woman talked about live and let live. And in Hampshire, generally kind of a live and let live kind of place. Live free or die. Paid, like live free or die. Yeah. This is the thing, though. I love what she said about Republicans used to be the live and let live people. And now they're the ones that want to tell you what to do. And Democrats are the ones who think, you know, you should be able to live and let live, which to me, that strikes me as about right. Yeah, I think probably during COVID, maybe some people would have some pushback on that, but uh, it's nuanced. There was some anti-Sununu sentiment around how he handled the pandemic. Republicans were more live and let die during COVID. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a little different. <laughs> um, but I don't know if Chris, you realize this. I assume he has to because you meet all the people that come to your events, right? They talk to you afterwards. It's easy to figure out. Yeah. A warning sign for me from Haley when I was there for the circus, like in October when her little surge was starting. I went to one of our events and several people recognized me. And I was like, not a good sign for you, <laughs> Nikki. That, like that, these are the types of people that are showing up to your events, right? Watch um, a lot of MSNBC. I wasn't getting yeah. clocked at the Ron DeSantis events. Nobody clocked me at the Vivek event in Crawford County, Iowa. I can tell you that. And so the nature of the parties have changed, right? And so maybe it means that Chris Christie is an independent now that has more appeal to Democratic voters, right? It's just like there are a lot more people that are kind of in the mold of the type of governor Chris Christie was that now choose to vote for Democrats. And I think the woman at the very end of that clip kind of summarized that well. Yeah. So it's funny. All of the people in this group would stick with Biden in a general election between a Trump-Biden rematch. And they'd all vote for Biden over Haley, too, because as one person said, I don't want Trump pardoned. But about half the group would have voted for Christie over Biden. Do you think if Nikki, if she were to somehow win, do you think she put New Hampshire in the general election contention? I don't think so. Like, do you buy the Nikki Haley head to head polling that she would crush Biden by like 17 points? No, because the people from your two time Trump group, some of them would go down the other way and then there'd be some partisanship that would be happening. A lot of voters who say that for Nikki Haley in the middle right now would be educated about her abortion position that don't know, like people in this group really knew. You know, I think that there are probably versions of women like those in this group yeah. who live in Ohio or whatever that would say right now they're for Haley. And then the ads would start about how she is for a six week abortion ban. I think that she would struggle um, with that. I thought it was interesting. The people that said that they'd vote for Christie, at least one person over Biden, was because of Kamala. Yeah. So that has kind of sunk in a little bit. She was like, I like Biden better than Christie, but I worry about that Biden would die. And I like Christie better. I don't, she didn't maybe say that explicitly, but it was very clear that that was the point that she was trying to make. No, I think that the map is different with Nikki, obviously, than Trump, but I don't think that it extends to somewhere like New Hampshire. Yeah. All right. Just before we get out of here, I'm going to give you a chance to talk about Chris Sununu just a smidge because good old Governor Sununu in both the groups, the voters like Sununu. They all like how Sununu like appears on Boston sports radio, like they find him to be a regular guy. And obviously, I think Nikki Haley felt glad to get his endorsement. But Chris Sununu, he's on my bad list 
uh, because he keeps being asked whether or not he would vote for Trump and support Trump if Trump's the nominee. And he's starting to do this thing where he's like, why do you keep asking me that? Obviously, I would support him. He's the Republican and we can't live under Biden's disastrous policies. Do you want to have the last word on Sununu or do you want me to rant? I'd like to hear your rant so we can just do both. I'll just be brief. Like My thing is, I get that. I would probably like Sununu if he was my governor. Governors are different. I don't know everything that he's done as governor. I'm sure I'd have some complaints, but I think that he's probably been a perfectly good governor. What he's bad at is being a Republican pundit because he projects his wishes and his desires onto reality. And we need more than anything, we need people like Chris Sununu speaking truth about what is happening and expressing his frustrations rather than, I don't know, whatever this kind of gamesmanship that he's playing. Like Chris Sununu, governor, seems fine to me. Chris Sununu, CNN pundit, I find very bad. <laughs> I think that's the right word. Yeah, but. my problem is the conflation of the two, right? So I agree with you. He makes a bad pundit, which is why he says, like, Trump's never going to win the nomination. I mean, the number of anti-anti-pundits, people who want to stay on the Republican side but don't like Trump, like Sununu, they have no fundamental understanding of Republican voters. They just don't. Or they'd realize that actually, of course, Trump can win the nomination. But that's not what bothers me about Sununu. I agree with you. I love me. Some moderate Dem state Republican governors. Those are my sweet spot. Hogan, Sununu. But when normal Republicans like Sununu, who clearly don't like Trump, endorse him, and probably Nikki Haley, when she eventually just breaks my heart and endorses Trump after she drops out of this race, that is the worst possible thing that can happen because they create a permission structure for normal voters who also don't like Trump and also think things are wrong with them to be like, well, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't vote for those Democrats. Joe Biden's a disaster. And I take it on faith because normal Republicans that are old school that I still like, like Chris Nuno and Nikki Haley, tell me it's OK. They're going to endorse it. And I'm not sure that there's anything more dangerous than when the normies see fit to build that permission structure. Amen, sister. Amen. I got nothing to add to Amen. that. Amen, chorus. I'll have plenty more rants to that. Each time one of them endorses Trump officially, we can reprise this. Okay. I'll get angrier and angrier as the summer goes on. Yeah, I think yeah, so both of us will. All right, man. I really appreciate you coming on, doing New Hampshire. You're the best. And thanks to all of you for listening to another episode of the Focus Group Podcast. Go rate and review and help people find us on Apple iTunes. Jeez, you know, because Tim's on, everybody's going to go and be like, Tim's my favorite. Bring Tim back uh, more. That's a great show. comment when you're rating and reviewing. More Tim. <laughs> All right. Thanks, buddy. See ya.